You are listening to South by Southwest Sessions. Good morning! Yeah, I'm a little loud and I'm okay with that because you all are the hardened souls that have found yourselves here in this place in this time. We're very excited to have you here. Uh, my name is Kate and of course you are here at the welcome, or you're here at the Win the Future of Gaming. It's kind of a big title for a big conversation. Uh, and today we're going to basically be pulling back the curtain with two people at the forefront of esports and tech. So please welcome to the stage Qualcomm Technologies Chief Marketing Officer, Don McGuire, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And from ESL co CEO, Craig Levine, everyone. Thanks, gentlemen. Sit on down. This is, I, I feel like this is a very intimate thing that you all get to see, and I can tell you right now that the nerding out that I have for this conversation is not to be matched. Um, Don, let's start with you, though, okay? Because Qualcomm has sure. a storied history spanning two decades, gaming and tech, of course. Um, as someone with a similar pedigree in gaming, we'll say, I think is a good way to put it, and now as their CMO, what do you see as your, as your role in sort of helping to evolve this ever-evolving space? Great question. Uh, yeah, so we've been involved in the gaming space from a technology enablement perspective for mm -hmm. quite, a, quite a few years. Um, and we've really watched as the advent of mobile gaming mm -hmm. um, and, the, and, the, and the, the growth of mobile gaming has just gone sort of gangbusters around the yeah. world. And now it's the, obviously the biggest segment of the gaming ecosystem. It's kind of where all the money's being made. It's, you know, everyone's turning their cannons towards, towards mobile and the mobile space. I think in China, at any given day, at any given time, there's about 350 million people playing mobile games. So it's pretty, it's pretty large from a scale perspective. So we've been kind of watching that, and we've been enabling or creating enabling technologies to, to fortify um, and keep up with the demands mm -hmm. of, of mobile gamers. Um, and then take that up to the next level and have mobile gaming sort of cross over into the esports world, right? Yeah. And we're yeah. super excited about where that's headed. So we were really excited about teaming up with ESL um, to really make mobile esports sort of a, a tier one level, you know, sort of sport and competition um, to, to really take advantage of that inflection point mm -hmm. of mobile gaming. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's great to see. We're excited about kicking it off this year <laughs> and we're excited about where it goes. I love it. And we will talk about that partnership. Don't worry. That's a nice little tease from me to you. Craig, ESL is synonymous with eSports. You're a guy who's also been a player. You've organized teams and leagues. And by the way, that was back in the early 2000s before it was cool. So I think he should get some credit for that, certainly. And of course, you've been a key strategist throughout. So talk to me a little bit about your key objectives here as co-CEO of this eSports juggernaut. Yeah, so for ESL, uh, we believe in sort of building what we call these complete game ecosystems. When you look at any sport that's out there, it's about creating these tiers of competition or progression through competition that create these moments of success. Yeah. And whether that's playing at home, whether it's playing on the go, whether it's playing in front of 50 people or 50,000 people, mm -hmm. um, sort of those are the tiers that you look at and you, see you need that to build the fandom. So we try to build a world where everybody can be somebody, these zero to hero ecosystems um, and then really replicate that across a variety of games. And we're so excited now what we're seeing is Don's describing the growth of mobile esports. Um, it, it's funny, right? It's, it's sort of just booming here, but it's already started in other places of the world, right? We've already filled arenas in places like India and China and Brazil with different games here. Um, so for us uh, in the world of esports, it's all about creating this and bringing people together really through competition and community. 
um, and whether that's physically or whether that's digitally, uh, that's a big part of what we do and doing that then across a variety of different game titles. Mm. The accessibility too is what oh, we're yeah. excited about nice. because it's, you know, it's, we're calling it collectively the era of everyone, yeah. uh, right? Because it's no longer tied to being able to build a $4,000 PC, mm-hmm. right? Or, or having a console or whatever. It's really about the era of everyone. Most people have a smartphone, yeah. right? And through the technology that we're enabling and the power of ESL, we're really unlocking esports, you know, for everyone. And so that's what's really exciting about it. I mean, listen, I'm an esports fan through and through, and I'm couldn't tell. I, what? Stop. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about, you know, we've obviously heard ESL and Qualcomm, leaders in gaming here. Can you talk a little bit about, Don, we'll start with you, sure. sort of how you're propelling the gaming and I would say that XR ecosystem forward, because that's, I mean, listen, we're going to talk metaverse a little bit. We're going to know exactly how this foundation begins. Yeah, so um, so Snapdragon, for those of you who don't know who Qualcomm is, I wouldn't be surprised, by the way. Um, but uh, Snapdragon is our is our is really our consumer-facing product brand. And Snapdragon is, is basically the name of our platforms that go into various device categories, smartphones, PCs, cars, wearables, all sorts of different product categories. And on the Snapdragon platform, we've enabled a collection of gaming technologies and features, which we call Snapdragon Elite Gaming. And Snapdragon Elite Gaming is really the packaging up of all these amazing features that make the gaming experience on your smartphone, you know, desktop quality, for example. So a true 10-bit HDR, uh, foveated rendering, gaming at 144 frames per second, these are all firsts that Snapdragon Elite Gaming has brought to the smartphone mm-hmm. and to these purposeful gaming devices. Um, and so that's sort of a, our foundation for which we're launching off of, yeah. is bringing Elite Gaming to these devices to allow players to play AAA titles and have a similar experience. The only, the only difference being that the screen is smaller and that the way that they, they access and play the game is different mm-hmm. than having a controller or having a controller attached to their phone. But other than that, the experience should be the same. Mm-hmm. And that's what we believe and that's what we're striving for constantly. We're always taking feedback from gamers. Um, and from our, our partners, our device partners, saying how can we make Elite Gaming better? How can we bring new feature sets? Um, you know, we, uh, Game Touch, we just announced this last year. Mm-hmm. So making that experience as rich and as immersive as they would experience on any other device category is kind of our goal. Um, and that's how we've kind of, we, we kind of look at gaming. Um, it's through the lens of Snapdragon and through the lens of Snapdragon Elite Gaming. Excellent. Craig, you got to be excited about the, what we was just talking about here. Yeah, I mean, it's all about that accessibility as we were talking about. And, you know, with the more powerful hardware, it starts to unlock more interesting games. Uh, and when you look at now the growth of video games, it's really come off of the idea that competitive games have created an inherently social experience that has been the foundation for the largest games out there. And whether that's the biggest games by prize pool or the biggest games by viewership that are out there, the biggest communities, uh, there are a lot of, they're all really anchored around this idea of competition. Uh, and oh, by the way, what, we, what the industry has seen and the game makers have seen is that competitive players are higher value customers for them. So they spend more time in game and on platform, uh, which for us means that more games, are bu- more games are being built with competitive features in mind. So sort of this pipeline of potential games now that can take advantage of these new hardware advances that are out there are all starting to come to market. Uh, and when you look at what's happened across the industry, mm-hmm. uh, across game engines and platforms like Unity or Unreal, mm-hmm. um, it has now simplified uh, and uh, made it cheaper, quite frankly, for game development. So I think you're really, that's what you see now, right? These 
you know, things from like 10,000 games that come out on a given year, there's so much creation that's happening um, out there and that is then increasing that addressable market. Um, but a lot of it's happening off the backbone of competition and community uh, that comes together in the fandom around it. I love it. And also, as a reminder, if you do have questions, we will do a Q&A towards the end. Uh, and if you want to go to the Southwest Southwest Go app, you can put those questions in and we'll maybe answer them here on the stage a little bit later. That's a nice tease. Well, let's keep with that industry trends talk, right? We talk about industry trends, the gaming technology. I, this is the big question. Don, we'll start with you. And it's not an easy one to answer, I'm sure. But what is the future of gaming in your eyes right now? Um, it, it's really, it, I think, and I think ESL and, and, and ourselves share this. Um, it's really about anytime, anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's about utilizing the power of 5G networks, AI, mm -hmm. and different devices, along with the entire gaming ecosystem, to create the, 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 the ability for you to seamlessly play and engage, whether it's multiplayer or whatever, wherever you are at whatever times. So you should be able to move seamlessly from your PC to your console to your, to your gaming device dedicated to your smartphone and continue gameplay mm -hmm. um, as seamless as possible. And the power of technology that exists today that's being built around the world is gonna really enable that. Add on top of that, you know, Im immersion through the metaverse yeah. or the idea of the metaverse, which we're gonna talk about oh, in a little yeah. bit. Um, whatever that means to you, um, I think it's um, the, the, the layers of reality, right, that you're going to be able to experience through gameplay um, takes, you know, the idea of Ready Player One and Second Life and all these things yeah. to, an, to another level. And, and so that's what we're excited about of, of where gaming is headed. It's that use case that we think is, uh, is the tip of the spear for a lot of these bigger ideas mm -hmm. um, of where technology is headed and where, you know, entertainment and immersion is headed. So that's one thing that I think we're excited about. Yeah, I, mean, I think exactly as you're describing, with this new hardware that, that comes out and enables now this, these more immersive experience from small screens to big screens, from slower networks to faster networks, that has allowed us to create more immersive, more social gaming experiences, right? A battle royale like Fortnite literally couldn't have existed you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, when you look at now what's happening on some uh, mobile titles out there, PUBG Mobile is an example, right? I mean, it feels uh, crystal clear like it would, you know, if you were playing a console, um, you know, what you would expect as a player now. So that's now available to you on the go, as, as Don was describing. And when you layer on top of this immersion that's happening, the social aspect that gets to be unlocked, I think that's really the power of what you start to see in this next generation of gaming and where it's going, um, right? And it started, you know, with let's call them early versions of, you know, voice way back in the day and now how Discord's kind of made that ubiquitous uh, and how, how video, right, is sort of powered on everyone's phone and how does that get overlaid into your gaming experience to, again, make it more social. So I think when you look out on the future of gaming, uh, it's about the continued immersion that's coming off the back of the hardware advances uh, across the industry uh, and then all of these new social touch points uh, that really are laying the foundation for, for the metaverse conversation, which we'll get into. And um, I totally agree with what Don was saying. I think that's what's so exciting about games and esports. It's always been at the forefront of technology. Uh, it's always been driving it. When you think about the growth of live streaming of the last few years, it started with Twitch. Uh, when you think about you know, uh, vi you know, video content on YouTube, gaming is the largest vertical on it. Um, so this entertainment medium is now the largest in the world, and you're seeing that push the barriers to it. And again, even as we get into metaverse, it's something that we've seen and experienced as gamers even right for, for you know, the last few years or decades even. 
Absolutely. Well, I would be remiss if we did not use a question to ask about the big news that came out with ESL and Qualcomm, Snapdragon Pro Series. I can see the smile on your face right now, Craig. It's definitely something to get excited about. And Craig, let's, let's actually start with you. Unpack this partnership and really what it means for the mobile gaming esports scene. Yeah, so we're so excited to be partnering with Qualcomm on this and to really uh, unleash, as Don put it, right, the era of everyone. That's how we think about it. And mobile devices are the most accessible, they're the most pervasive. And again, with these richer games that we're speaking about. Uh, so now together, we've created the Snapdragon Pro Series. Uh, it's a $2 million prize purse. Uh, it's a global program uh, across North America, across Europe, the Middle East, uh, across uh, APAC, China, um, and really what this is going to do is those, uh, that ecosystem that, that I described earlier around esports, those levels of progression, uh, we've got different tiers that are going to start to create local, regional, national heroes, mm -hmm. and then culminate with what we call a big masters event. So I'm sure everyone here has seen right, the big images that you've, you've probably tuned in live, maybe attended a, a big event in the past, and to now be able to bring that to mobile gaming on a global scale is incredible. And one of the things that continues to, to wow me every time we do something in mobile uh, is the participation, uh, right? This idea of traditional esports has been about the world's best players competing with, you know, tens of millions of watching live. And what you're seeing now on mobile is that you're starting with, you know, two or three million participants competing for their chance to be there. And oh, by the way, the growth of mobile game or uh, mobile esports, excuse me, from a live streaming perspective, has grown over 200% over the last three years. So you're seeing this massive swell on the bottom of participants that you know you're already seeing the upswell starting uh, on the viewership. So to be able to partner with Qualcomm and to lead this uh, for us, is, it's what we've done the last 20 years, and this is just the next chapter in that. That chapter has got to be something that gets you up in the morning. Yeah, this is really, it's been a labor of love, I yeah. think, for myself and my team, um, uh, you know, coming from Intel and, and having IEM under my tutelage mm -hmm. when I was there, um, I knew the power of esports and, and the celebration. And this is really, in my opinion, this is a celebration of, of, of mobile esports, and, and that's what we want to create. We want to create a celebration, and, and this era of everyone and, and having this groundswell of of, of um, novice mobile gamers being able to kind of participate and get into the into the ecosystem and then culminate into this master's type of environment and really bring the ecosystem together and celebrate that that esports competition that spirit of competition I think is is super exciting for us um, I think it's it's time the inflection point is there to kind of organize around this and take it to the next level so a Snapdragon Pro series is going to be amazing and we're looking forward to bringing it around the world and and um, and both you know from an online perspective, um, as well as all the way through to the physical event, and bring in partners and the entire ecosystem to celebrate that. So it's going to be amazing. Um, and uh, you know we don't we like to say we don't do things half-assed. So <laughs> we're uh, we're all in on this. And I know ESL um, because of their their history and 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 their competency in, in putting on these massive you know events at scale. Um, it's going to be a great partnership. And I think the, I think yeah. the other piece that's also so exciting is reimagining what esports is, yes. right? Sort yep. of this, this what a mobile phone, a mobile device enables, not just from players, for viewers at home, for participants on site. I think that's also what gets us so excited now is to be able to reimagine uh, the future of this 
mm -hmm. um, in sort of this connectivity first sort of world. Mm -hmm. I, I gotta tell you, I just love the global aspect of it and the, the not having a barrier to entry. I'm As an esports fan, I'm excited. As a, a mobile gaming fan, I'm excited. Like there's just, I'm gonna stop using the word excited because if you're playing a drinking game right now with that word, you've been out for a while. Uh, well, let's downshift now. I don't have a car that does that, so that doesn't make any sense. Uh, to the metaverse. We are obviously, it's a buzzword. It's a big tent. It's a big opportunity. Don, you are someone who keeps sort of this new tech at the forefront daily. I'm going to start with you. How do you define the metaverse? It's a big question, I know. Yes. So um, I, I, I think our perspective is, um, and I think kind of my personal point of view is that the metaverse will be what the metaverse will be. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think anyone really is going to own it. I mean, Snoop can buy property in it. That's cool. But it's, 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 you know, I think there's been a lot of companies or people that might have gone out and say, we're going to own the metaverse. I, I just don't think that's possible. The metaverse is going to take different forms. Um, it's it's going to be a way for people. It's really the merging of digital and physical spaces. And if we're all going to have a digital twin or if there's going to be a digital twin of, of things and people that's going to be available to alter your sense of reality, that could be super cool, but it, it can manifest itself in different ways. So whether it's metaverse for entertainment, metaverse for productivity, um, you know, and your workplace, um, metaverse for gaming, metaverse for attending a concert, um, metaverse from an augmented perspective mm -hmm. versus a virtual perspective, it's going to take different forms. And, all, you know, kind of all we know, uh, or the one thing we do know, um, is you're going to have to access the metaverse via some sort of device, um, uh, some sort of platform that gets you in, uh, whether that's a smartphone, whether that's glasses, uh, whether that's your car, uh, whether that's a tablet or a gaming device or a PC or whatever that might be, you're going to have to access this world or augment your world in some way, shape, or form through a device experience. Chances are we are going to be powering that device with our Snapdragon platform. So in a way, Snapdragon is sort of your ticket in, right? Your ticket to the metaverse and whatever that metaverse means to you. And so that's why we're excited about it because it's, a new, it's another growth opportunity, as you mentioned, um, for technology as a platform to be, again, set up for good. I think one of the things we can learn from the explosion of social media is if, if we all embark upon this journey into the metaverse, can we learn lessons mm -hmm. from what happened with social media, right? Social media can be used for good, social media can be used for evil, um, as we've seen. And, and maybe we can take a, a lesson from that. And, and as we construct collectively the entire ecosystem, technology ecosystem, what this metaverse idea of the metaverse is, can we learn from that? And can we actually create a metaverse for good? Um, and, and so that's kind of one thing that we're looking at as, a, as an adjunct to just enabling, you know, we're, we're the great enabler. We enable mm -hmm. a lot of different platforms and a lot of different technologies to happen. So we're watching what's happening. We are, you know, we've been investing in XR for over 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, we are in X, every XR platform that you can imagine, Oculus um, to HTC Vive, uh, to my, Microsoft HoloLens. Oh, yeah. So we, we enable and we power all those devices. Again, access to your virtual or augmented experience through those devices is powered by Snapdragon. So we have a lot of experience. We've been watching it along the way, paying attention to trends, great partnerships with Unreal and Unity and Meta and and mm -hmm. and Microsoft and others. So um, it's gonna it's exciting, but um, we're really interested to see where it goes. Um, I think it doesn't really sort of explode and become more mainstream until the augmented piece is figured out a little right. bit further. Got it. Um, I think the virtual piece has been there for a while, um, but it's still sort of nascent. 
but really about the augmentation of your world is really where it becomes sort of uh, scalable. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's, those are just some initial thoughts yeah. that we have. Yeah. And I think when we think of a lot of, of that connectivity that Don's describing, right, it's what is the metaverse, right? It's when, you're, when your virtual relationships, your virtual belongings are as or more important, right, than your physical ones out there. That's sort of like the best way I've heard it described to me. Uh, and I think that's so true. And to Don's point, as you think about then the access that, that you need against that, um, it's going to take a lot of different shapes. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to take different forms for different use cases. Um, but I almost think it is that that simple and that really that, that inherently social um, uh, piece of that in, uh, within you. That makes sense for sure. Well, you know, we Don, even you mentioned it, and we'll start with you again here. Uh, you talk about metaverse for gaming, right? I'm curious, how do you think gamers are going to experience the metaverse? And then let's sort of talk about how you hope they experience the metaverse. And Craig, I'm coming to you next. Yeah, I think Craig would probably give a better answer. But um, uh, so, it, you know, I think gaming is one of those obvious use cases um, to start with. Um, I would say that, you know, another use case might be popular for the metaverse, but I won't bring that up here um, as, it, as, it, <laughs> as it was for video and VCR. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, that's what it is, right? So, uh, uh, but I think it, it is one of those obvious use cases. So how, how people engage with it, um, it, you know, I think gaming is on the forefront of the merging of digital and physical. Mm -hmm. um, and so as a gamer, um, I think it offers opportunity, you know, people, um, for people to create a better version of themselves mm -hmm. or a different version of themselves um, in, in, in the form of entertainment. Um, as they move into, you know, in and out of their gaming world. And I think that's, that's cool for people. I think it gives people um, not only accessibility, but it gives people the chance to, um, to create a, a, a more equity, mm. right, for yeah. each other and for themselves. Um, and I think that's, that's pretty cool, right? Because you can be whoever you want to be. Um, and and you, can, you can avoid real world judgments and all those types of things. And so as a gamer, I think that's exciting. And um, we've already seen it a little bit. And there's been foreshadowing in movies and, and, and all sorts of other things where, where people have done that. So that's kind of an interesting piece of the puzzle from a gaming perspective. But I think, and I think gameplay, ultimately it's the ultimate immersion, right? Is, is being in, the, you know, they say be in the game, right? And uh, they've been using that tagline for years now, but okay, you're finally, you're in the game. Um, and, so, and so that's actually pretty exciting as well. And, and so, I mean, that's how you know, I'm looking at it personally. And I really, really like this idea of equity mm -hmm. and, um, and, uh, and inclusion that this could bring to gameplay, uh, which I think is pretty cool. Absolutely. I think right, that question of where is, or how are gamers to the, experiencing the metaverse, I, I, I laugh because I go, I guess we've been in the metaverse for 20 years, uh, right? In the sense of I've been in clans and guilds. Uh, I've connected through voice and chat with friends. I've made friends in the real world that started in virtual virtual environments. Um, I've spent more than I will care to admit in here in terms of virtual items that are in-game that you could only see if, you know, right, if you were in-game with it, right? And how strange that sounded just three or five years ago, it's like we were the crazy ones that, right, doing all this stuff. And now here everyone is of you know, pouring trillions of, or billions of dollars into this trillion dollar opportunity. And you're like, I think we've been here. Um, <laughs> you know, I haven't seen Snoop Dogg in uh, you know, my World of Warcraft guild. Um, you know, I'll sell him a spot if he's looking for some real estate, some more real estate. 
Um, He's got the money. Yeah, <laughs> it's, you know, but, but it's been here, and I think that goes a little bit back to what was Don describing, right? That's what's so cool that I find about being in games and esports is it is that forefront of it. So to the question of, you know, how, will gamers ex or how are gamers experiencing the metaverse, I think that foundation is there. Uh, and I think that's an accelerant uh, through that because there's already a population of us that mm -hmm. understand it, that embrace it, and that love it. And even when you think about what's an NFT, again, I go, mm -hmm. I laughed. I mean, they need to rebrand the word NFT and cryptocurrency, yeah. right. but it's a virtual item, yeah. um, right? And again, we've been buying these kinds of things, drag, dragon lore op skins or, you know, skins in League of Legends or, yeah. you know, uh, opening chests in Clash, in Clash Royale, whatever it might be. Um, so that idea has kind of been there already. Uh, and then I think, where does it go? I think it just builds off that idea of social connectivity uh, and that accessibility that Don was describing. And the idea of now, how am I part, how do I experience these relationships uh, in a way that historically has been, let's call it desktop or couch driven. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now with your mobile device, with the metaverse, now how are these relationships permeating my life in a positive way, in a more natural and a seamless way through it. Um, so as Don was describing the virtual, where it started, and this mixed reality maybe of where it ends up, I'm a much bigger believer in this augmented XR kind of app use application um, where you can bring the best of both worlds together. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what the future then of gaming is, is how do you just bring that gaming experience, those social experiences, um, you know, beyond that sort of uh, singular use case mm -hmm. to become a more natural part of your life no matter what you're doing. Yeah. I think gamers, have already, they've already given the metaverse permission to exist. Yes. Right, Ooh. whereas some other use cases are going to, it's going to be harder, yeah. right? Um, it's going to be a, a behavioral shift that's kind of more monumental, mm -hmm. but the permission's already there for gamers. Like Craig said, it's already been kind of happening in different pieces in different ways in the engagements there, so I think it's, um, it's an obvious first, first, you know, first mover. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the metaverse. And there's things that are working and there's things that haven't worked. Right. Uh, so I think there's also that foundation where you go, Over right? Over-promised and under-delivered. <laughs> <laughs> right, there's three billion gamers worldwide. It's like this isn't this foreign kind of concept to it. There's a blueprint that works. Um, so I think that's now the accelerant out of there. Uh, and a little bit on a on on tangent here, right? But sure. when you think about that, again, off of all the power and connectivity that's now created in all these different devices, the companies, in my opinion, that are best positioned to create the metaverse, I won't say own the metaverse, or, uh, right? It's a company like Epic to me, right? Where you have 100 million Fortnite players, you have an Unreal game engine uh, that's already powering movies and new games and uh, cars that are being built. Um, and from an esports perspective, this idea of, again, how does that now um, software power kind of come to life to create this new viewing experience. And maybe you're not watching it on your Twitch screen, uh, but you're inside a Fortnite match uh, and you're seeing different things happen. Uh, and you're sitting there with different friends the same way that you might be sitting in an arena. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the power of this. And that's why, again, there's so much, I think, a little bit um, un almost unspoken opportunity, I would mm -hmm. even say, to some of the gaming technology companies, the game makers out there and the outsized role that I think they're going to have in terms of really owning this space. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, actually, let's sort of dive in. I think you've even uh, touched on it a couple times here, Craig, but let's talk about sort of that, you know, the growth of mobile gaming, mobile esports, as well as sort of how that interacts with this metaverse and, you know, what it really means to be a gamer within both of these scenes. Like, talk to me a little bit about that. 
Yeah, I think that's what's so cool about what we're doing Snapdragon Pro Series and what it really represents is sort of the, I'll call it the validation, and that's certainly an unfair word, <laughs> of just the mobile device, of the role it plays now. Um, so when you think, again, the metaverse and esports and competition and what it is, the fact that you're going to need some, it's going to be your passport, right? This, this passport into this universe, and whether that's a digital collectible, whether that's a relationship that you have with someone, whether it's a virtual world you're going to, uh, it's all going to need to come from somewhere to connect us in that. Uh, and obviously, the mobile phone is the, the first natural place to start because everyone's sort of got one. Yeah. Um, so I think that's what's fun for us, again, as we reimagine what mobile esports is, as we project where we're going with Snapdragon uh, Pro Series, is this idea of saying, how do we really embrace that uh, and create the idea of virtual relationships, of digital ownership, uh, of, you know, that idea to kind of all come together and to for this to be that first entry point out of it. So uh, we get to put on our imagination hats a little bit and our dreaming hats, uh, which is the real fun part of this all. I love that. Well, Craig, I'm going to stick with you for a hot second, and Don, I want you to jump in. Uh, let's talk about the future stars of the metaverse because, you know, I know that's, <laughs> it does sound funny, but the You're truth looking is, at him. I mean, hello. Thanks for being here. <laughs> um, and, I, and I will say that I think a lot of those personalities, those influencers, can be used by companies to really realize the future of you know, whatever platform they're going for. Who do you think the, the future stars are for this kind of a space? Um, in the end, no, no one knows. I think that's the fun part of this also, is when you look at back on the history of new platforms as there's been innovation and start with, you know, in the gaming world, right, start with something like YouTube and PewDiePie, right, was the biggest gaming star that existed out there. Uh, and then live streaming became the thing and Ninja became the biggest thing out there on Twitch. So every time you see a new platform come, I think it creates a new opportunity for people to interact with other people. Uh, and whether that's on TikTok today and it's shorter form content, or again on Twitch where it's more long form perhaps, uh, what you'll see out of the metaverse is new opportunities for creators to come together to create uh, communities around them, to create engagement. Uh, so, you know, if I was uh, placing a bet on who the future star is of the metaverse, I would take the field mm -hmm. um, because it's probably going to be someone we haven't heard of because there's going to be some new way that they're thinking about how to connect with new generations in a really meaningful way. Many of them yeah. won't even be real. <laughs> I just love that. That's it's already fascinating. Happening. I mean, it's yeah. already happening in China, yeah. right? Some of the biggest KOLs aren't even real, right? They're, they're, it's in the cosmetic space. Um, in, in China right now, these influencers, they're not even real people. Mm -hmm. They're made up. They're virtual people. Um, but they're, they've got audiences. They've got fan bases. Mm -hmm. um, they are earning income um, for their creators. And so, uh, so that's what's going to be interesting. I mean, it could be a little dangerous, but it, it's, it's super interesting, right? That, that the, the PewDiePies and the ninjas of the world, of, the, of, of this metaverse gaming world, may not even be real, real people, mm -hmm. right? They may, there may be a real person behind them mm -hmm. or an entity behind them powering them, but they may not be real. Um, so, uh, so that's pretty interesting mm -hmm. where that goes. And it's kind of already happening, as I said, because we're, we're watching what's going on in China with some of these influencers that are repping brands and repping spaces, and they are not real people. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. I keep shaking my head, but I keep thinking, like, why am I shaking my head? This feels like the future is now. Okay, let's just let that happen anyway. Um, well, speaking of sort of blast from the past, the term metaverse itself, Neil Stevenson, his novel uh, Snow Crash back in 1992 is where it was coined. 
that was 30 years ago. I'm just going to leave that one out there. Um, but now we're talking about, like, you know, the future of the metaverse and everything. And, Don, let's start with you. What do you hope the, the, the metaverse looks like 30 years from now, now that it's no longer science fiction? Oh, wow, 30 years from now. Big question, big so question. 30 years from 30 years. That's correct, yeah. yeah so I guess it would be 60 years from playing and... 60 years from me. From well, the, I'll be gone. It'll be fine. From the coining of the, the phrase. Apocalypse will happen. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's fine. <laughs> the apocalypse will have happened. Uh, we'll all be on Mars. Um, uh, it, what I hope for it, I'm, I'm going to go back to something I said earlier, is I really hope it's it's a, it's an, it's an augmented slash virtual um, addition and or substitution for the real world that is um, is is helping the overall societal just sort of um, uh, uh, kind of ethos move in a in a positive direction, like right? A companion um, piece. Yeah, and and uh, you know I think it's easy to to get lost in virtual um, mm -hmm. and and remember or forget that you know there's a physical side of your of your life, <laughs> um, and 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 relationships are important, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that we've learned through the last two years is the power of connectivity, uh, the ability to have to want to connect or the ability to stay connected to, to family, friends, school, work, whatever it might be, is nothing can replace that. No, no Teams call, no Zoom call, mm -hmm. right? No virtual type of meeting can replace that collaboration, that human connection. And human connection is going to remain super important. And I know some people who maybe sit in their basement all day long and play games, don't need human connection, but we all need human connection. We're social animals. So what I hope for the metaverse in the future is that, is that it, it, is, um, it is a layered on type of uh, addition to, to real life and, and to that human connection that we, all, that we all need. Because I don't know if I wanna live in a world where that, go, that goes away, mm -hmm. right? Because then I think then um, along with human connection being gone, that's when you know morality goes away and ethics mm -hmm. go away and 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 the the ability to distinguish right from wrong and empathy, and empathy yeah. right goes away and that's not a world that I think would be a, a very good world. So um, so I'm hoping that that's kind of what my hope is is that it it we we again learn from what technology can do and what it both good and bad mm -hmm. and we um, and we do it the right way yeah. collectively as as an ecosystem. Um, as, as a group of, of enablers, or enablers, publishers, writers, creators, and participants, yeah. um, that everybody's sort of on that same page. Yeah. I, it's a little altruistic, I think, but, you know, what else am I going to say? Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> the opportunity is there. Yeah, the opportunity is there. It's so early still. And again, lots, lots of people are, are raising the, you know, flying the metaverse flag. Mm -hmm. um, but um, another thing, too, is that, you know, it can't kill the grid. Mm hmm Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, this idea of the metaverse, ha you, you have to take into account sustainability and power efficiency. And, you know, you can't bring down the grid, <laughs> you know, by everyone's engaging in the metaverse. Oh, we have no power. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so I can't. That's another thing that we have to take into consideration as we move through this as well as <laughs> is the energy sources. Yeah. Right. That uh, that's going to take to actually pull this off. Yeah, and that's definitely something that people, I think, forget sometimes with the innovation being at the forefront. Uh, Craig, how about you? What are your thoughts? I think it's a lot of the similar kind of things, right? Where do you hope the metaverse is in 30 years? It's, I think, as Don was saying, right, what we've learned through the pandemic is that technology could be an enabler for it and how it could also be a crutch for things. Uh, and I think you've got to sort of, we've got to sort of take the best of everything that's come out of this, all of these learnings across these last two years, and really say how do we use now technology to bring together, to mix, 
um, to supplement sort of the social experiences that are happening. And it doesn't necessarily mean uh, physical, um, but we are animals. We are social creatures. That is innate to who we are, no matter what virtual form of it is. We're not going to be a, a, you know, a unicorn floating around Fortnite. We're still a person. Um, and I think that we have to remember that we're grounded in the physical. So how do you use that then to supplement that? How do you create connections? How do you enable, bring together families and friends perhaps that can't get together? Uh, how do you create accessibility to learning uh, that might not be there uh, because of some socioeconomic barrier that might have, you have been born into? And as Don was describing, right, using it for good, I think that's really the power of the metaverse is uh, how you use it to break down walls behind that. And I think that's sort of what I hope this is, isn't a replacement for the physical, because I don't think you can replace it, uh, no matter how good it gets. Uh, but I do think it has a role in supplementing, in enriching, in bringing things closer, that closing the distance that, are, that is around it. And that's definitely been the learning, I think, out of these last two years, as much as it's pushed everyone to digital. And I'm assuming many of us, it's a space that we've been comfortable in. It's created, you know, my grandma now FaceTimes. You can never find the button before. Uh, but that's a step into it for her. Um, so I think that's the idea now is how do we build off that. Uh, and I think we're going to really kind of see that acceleration coming out of it. Um, but as Don was describing, it's all about that access point. Uh, and if that experience isn't good, if your Oculus glasses aren't good enough, mm -hmm. if it's staticky or laggy, if you've got a bad connection and they're two seconds behind or you. frying your brain. Lag, yeah. Lag. <laughs> um, you know, that's not a great experience either. So I think that the speed of technology now is now what we're seeing to really unlock this, uh, this future that we're, we're hearing so much about. I mean, if we if we all keep to the idea that technology is here to solve problems, yeah. it's, it's it's here to bridge gaps, mm -hmm. right? It's here to offer accessibility. Then I think we can use this idea of the metaverse or just any sort of technology platform to really solve big problems, yeah. right? I mean, thank God we had it during this pandemic, or else what would we have done, right? And how would we have stayed connected? How would we have kept our lives going? But there's still issues out there. And the digital divide is a huge issue. And in fact, the pandemic actually brought the digital divide to the forefront, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't just exist in rural Indiana, it exists in downtown Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And access to technology and access to, to devices as well as connectivity, it's real and it's, it's happening in your backyard, it's in suburbia, it's in urban areas, and it's in rural. And so the power of technology to solve those problems I think is really exciting. Um, and so if we all remember that, and as we kind of move into this, I think we're all headed in a right direction, you know, in a really good direction. Yeah, so. I think, and the other angle is, right, how do you, as an individual, how does it create an area of comfort and safety for you to express yourself, yeah. right, this new era of mental health that we're all talking Absolutely. about in such a positive way that's come mm -hmm. to a forefront, uh, where perhaps if you have an insecurity or, or if you're picked on for some reason that you have this opportunity to create the person who you are, mm -hmm. not the person that you look like, mm -hmm. I think that can also become a really powerful next dimension and um, agree with Don. Again, there's a lot to learn from, from social media of what worked and what different. And I think that's now, you know, our rules of engagement that as a society, I think we kind of need to figure out. And even the social media platforms are the earliest stages of finding their voice. How does a Twitter and a Facebook label content, um, a YouTube on it? And I think these are gonna again be these challenges now in the virtual world as a society that if the metaverse is gonna become what it is, some of the an anonymity that started the internet and made it so great, but also makes it such a toxic and challenging place at times, 
we're going to have to figure out how to do that. So it's not just the technology. It's not just being able to, you know, buy that plot of land. Um, it's also figuring out how we have rules that govern our society that exists within there. And I think that's a whole ethical layer um, that actually I haven't heard that much talking about. Uh, they talk about how they're going to program a better version of Craig through AI, uh, but no one's <laughs> haven't really heard how we're going to make sure that we're, yeah, that we're using it for good. Otherwise, we know again as gamers, I think, and probably all of us have experienced that moment uh, where you perhaps don't have a great experience based off that anonymity. So there's a lot to figure out beyond the technology and beyond the content side of it. Yeah, they need a moral compass. Yeah. Right. And 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 it shouldn't be the moral compass shouldn't be defined by one individual mm -hmm. or one company or one platform. No it's crowdsourced. Yeah, no matter who it is, no matter if it's Craig, um, no, it, it needs to it needs to be from all of us, yeah. right? And I think that's the power of these platforms, these open platforms, is mm -hmm. it is the the power of the collective to to kind of guide, yeah. right? And the danger part is having one entity or one person or one company decide what's right or what's wrong. That is danger zone, right? And that's the definition of fascism. Um, so yeah. uh, so I I think I yeah. think given the opportunity. And given that these platforms are open, it is everybody's responsibility to kind of rise up and and, have, and and kind of develop that moral compass for these things so that as we do move into it, we avoid some of the mistakes and, and uh, the, the experience is really a positive experience for people. I will say I do appreciate putting the onus on the user and, and on the people that create things, sort of that lens that says, hey, make sure you put this lens on first before you continue on with the with the revolutionizing, which is great. Hey, we've got some questions from all of you guys. Uh, you. Starting off, uh, let's see, this is from Peter. How will the Snapdragon Pro Series help esports break through to a wider U.S. audience who may need to learn what's so great about the genre? I'm going to go to Craig first on this one because I want to know this. Yeah, what I love about the Snapdragon Pro Series is the variety of games that we work with. And I think that's really the key to kind of breaking through to different audiences. So, you know, the biggest esports titles today have historically been born out of PCs of League of Legends and Counter-Strikes and Dotas and StarCrafts of the world. Um, when we look at what's happening in the mobile ecosystem, there's so many new communities that are being, being um, you know, founded and created. And the Snapdragon Pro Series, I think we're going to have some like 10 games represented across the world. Mm -hmm. So one, we could take a really regional flavor to what games are most interesting to the players within the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, and then with each of those games that we bring under this umbrella of the Snapdragon Pro Series, we're actually creating an increased addressable audience to start to learn, to get exposed to it, to build the fandom around it. Yes. Um, so I think that's really one of the key unique things of the program that we've created is that it's not about one game, it's about a variety of games all coming together uh, under this umbrella. Nice. Don, is that something that, I mean, honestly, a Snapdragon Pro Series, it's built on, it's, 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 it's global, Qualcomm is global, but this, this U.S. question is such an interesting one. Yeah, it is interesting, and it's, it's exciting because um, I think, you know, just having watched what's happened in, in other markets like China, India, and even in, in Europe and, and other places, the U.S. has, um, because it's been so rooted in PC and console, mm -hmm. um, that it, that it's it's sort of a catching up. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it'll be exciting to see where it goes. Uh, yeah. But there's a, a plethora of publishers out there, of game platforms out there that can be leveraged. Um, the fact that we can mix and match and interchange as we move through regions, and we can actually expose different regions to different types of games and gameplay, and then cross 
cross-pollinate. I think that's pretty exciting. Um, and, and we will do as much as we can to, to expose, right, both locally as well as regionally and globally, different players and different ecosystems to all what's going on, you know, as people are playing and engaging in esports in China. What are those those top titles and how could those be, you know, be also be you know, exciting and popular here yeah. and, and vice versa. So I think that's going to be fun. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of an exploration. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Again, it's kind of fun journey. You don't know where you're going at sure. times. Um, so that's half the, half the, half the fun is the, is the journey itself. Uh, but we're going to do everything we can to make it a really compelling experience and try to you know, sort of accelerate um, the mobile gaming ecosystem in the U.S. from an esports perspective mm -hmm. um, as it's already kind of naturally evolved on its own outside of the U.S. I love it. Okay, next question from Austin in Austin. There are only a small number of major sports, but there are, a, are hundreds of competitive games released a year. How do game developers come out on top? <laughs> you want to start? We're all looking at you, Craig. Yeah, <laughs> look, I, I, think, you. I think it's funny because it actually hits on a really interesting trend. We were talking yeah. about the, the, the next influencers out there, right? This is... Uh, I don't know, 50, you know, 100 years ago, the biggest sports in the U.S. were boxing and horse racing. And when you think about, you know, 50 years ago, it was, I don't know, seven channels, of maybe more than that. But uh, this idea that there was limited distribution and what's happened now through digital is that there's unlimited distribution and that's mm -hmm. created this whole wave of influencers or micro-influencers or whatever that is. So there's sort of a flavor for everything in whatever it is you want to do, mm -hmm. music, movies, video games, and so forth. Um, and I think that's also the difference of how traditional sports were born out of was this idea of if you didn't have a deal with ABC or NBC, mm -hmm. then no one was going to find your content. In today's world, uh, games, again, are being created off of these platforms. There's self-publishing that's happened. Uh, there's content that's being created from users that's going on to YouTube and Twitch and, other, and Twitter and Reddit and other platforms out there. Um, so I think ultimately, right, how does a game developer come out on top? Uh, it's really easy. You just need it. First, you need a great game. Yeah. Uh, and that sounds really simple to do, uh, but we've all spent too much time probably trying, you know, on some games that maybe weren't going to make it. Um, but it all starts with a great game, and then you need to have the right competitive features that are in that that are necessary. Yeah. You need things like map balance. You need things like lobby making um, and uh, matchmaking. Um, you need the ability to have integrity, right, with anti cheat on top of it. Mm -hmm. So a great game embracing the right tools mm -hmm. and then supporting the community the right way. Um, I always joke, a game developer, ESL, we don't make an eSport. The community makes an eSports. Mm -hmm. We kind of create a platform then for the best players to come to life on the biggest stars and for fans to follow them. And when that sort of lightning in a bottle happens, that's what you see with these generational eSports titles of Counter-Strike being around 20 years, oh, yeah. League of Legends 15 years or whatever mm -hmm. it's been, um, and so forth. So. Uh, I think that's really the key for them is make a great game, have the right competitive features in mind, and then support the community the right way. I was going to say the right competitive features feels like it needs the right foundation. Yeah, and just a little bit of a PSA Please. here for, for us. Everything that Craig just said, plus come work with us. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> it, it, our, our elite gaming platform gives game developers the ability to create kick-ass games. Um, so leverage our features, leverage our technology, um, work with us. Um, mm -hmm. We're happy to work with you. Um, we have Snapdragon Studios, which is our gaming studios. The, the team there is amazing, and they will help make your game amazing. So if you're a developer and you want to develop a kick-ass mobile game, come work with us. We're happy to work with you. I love it. And, and, and start that conversation at, you know, during development. Don't, don't, don't lob that on at the end, I'm asking right, exactly. as a user. <clears throat> 
Uh, okay, let's keep it going. Um, okay, yeah. This is from Anonymous. How do we build the metaverse for inclusion knowing that early adopters who frame the culture are predominantly male? You should answer this I question. I feel like I should answer this question <laughs> if only. Donna, maybe we start with you on this one. This is an interesting post. Uh, and, you know, Craig, you talked about toxicity. And, like, Don, you talked about the idea of needing there to be a moral compass. And, and this, boy, this, this goes right to that. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And, um, and anonymous, you know, you're not wrong. Um, so uh, I think I'll go back to an early comment I made, which is, um, I think hopefully this gives the ability to bring equity and inclusion to a whole different level, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And and um, and so and, and because of these blended realities mm -hmm. and because of the digital twins and things like that, um, you know how we frame up the voice that's actually emanating from these types of things. Um, we can create a voice that actually is more digitally or even physically inclusive. Yeah. Um, and so um, whether whether they're the, the people behind this are of whatever gender, right, um, may not matter mm -hmm. in the future, right? What matters is maybe the voice that mm -hmm. is, you know, kind of creating the, the opportunities um, uh, in the augmented or virtual space may be a, an orc, you know, or maybe a, <laughs> right, maybe, sure. maybe just non-gender specific and it may, may drive inclusion to another level. I mean, that would be cool, yeah. right? And um, because I think there's physical limitations that everyone's been put into a box, Sure. Right from a from a gender and or you know um, uh, you know uh, uh, other psychographic perspectives, which is unfortunate and a shame, but it's a reality. Yeah. Um, so how do we break through that? Um, and you know, from a physical perspective, I would say we there's a lot of amazing, very powerful you know female uh, or non-binary voices already in gaming, mm -hmm. as well as in other parts of the technology world. Step up. Yep. Right and 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 be be a, a voice in the for the physical, but I think what's exciting is that can we create a more inclusive voice for, from a virtual and non-augmented perspective where this, this idea of 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 that kind of fades to the background and it's really just about who what they're saying versus who's saying it. Man, I love that. Please, yes. A I don't know. I may be like out on a limb here, no, but totally. And I think there's a couple of angles to right. So there's no one silver bullet, right? It's going to be lots of things, and I this is going to sound really silly, but the starting point is talking about it. Yeah. I think these were conversations that weren't happening 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so the fact that we're at the early stage of this, and now we're, I think, based off some unfortunate things that have maybe forced this topic front and center as a culture now in society beyond technology uh, or gaming, uh, that's a good starting point. I think the other piece is saying, one, how do you, from the earliest level, how do you create more... Uh, equity and more balance on those where the creation's happening. So more girls in technology, um, more, you know, making it more okay, more acceptable now is more accessible, creating leaders uh, and uh, in the space. I think that's one step towards that. Mm -hmm. And the other piece of how we're going to build it is because I think the world has their eyes open now. Uh, that 50, you know, 50-ish percent of the population is male and female, and the beautiful part about the metaverse is, I think it's really this platform for creators that are out, out there. So it's going to become a platform for commerce, and I think that's going to inevitably start to create more content opportunities 
uh, that are more attractive to everyone out there. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I think about even a mobile phone and mobile gaming as an example, yeah. which maybe PC gaming and console gaming start a little bit more male-dominated off of dooms and shooters. I was going to say the you've same seen thing. off yeah. of mobile games how excuse more females. How it skews more females because there's a bigger variety of content that's out there, and I think that's the key then to the metaverse is having the diversity of content accessible to people um, is ultimately how we're going to you know I think kind of break into yeah. that more equitable realm. And you're going to see that in Snapdragon Pro Series, right? Yeah. You're going to see representation at a whole different level than you've seen in PC esports or console esports because the audience and the, the demographic and psychographic makeup of the audience is so different from mobile gaming it, than it is in PC gaming. And what we've done in PC gaming, our audience is typically about, you know, call it 5% female. Uh, again, these are traditional hardcore PC games of Counter-Strike and Dota's uh, and StarCraft's, and we've seen it more like 35% female uh, in what we've already done with our ESL mobile product. Um, so exactly what you're describing, Don, we're seeing in time, we think we'll continue to balance that in a more equitable, equitable way. I am wearing a smile for a very obvious reason on that one, so I'm very excited. Okay, uh, and we only have about seven minutes left, but we're gonna try to get some more questions here. Do you envision the future of mobile gaming being native games or streaming games? Oh, I don't know which one of you would like to start with that, Don. I, I, I'm gonna like, say both. Both. Uh, definitely both. Um, uh, native from the perspective that, that we have the platforms, we have the technology, um, and, and so I think that that opportunity is there. Streaming because the power of 5G and AI mm -hmm. is going to make streaming the experience to, for streaming games um, uh, an amazing experience. And, and of course, it's still in developing. Networks are still being built out. I know there was a question earlier about you know, the propensity of technology and the networks are at different levels in different countries. So how do we, how do we balance for that mm. as we move Snapdragon Pro Series around the world? Um, and the good news is, is that at every event, um, because we're involved, is we're going to make sure that the network that is supporting these events mm -hmm. is actually, you know, uh, is, is as state-of-the-art as possible for these specific events, um, even if the, the public networks around um, are, not, are not quite there yet. Uh, so yeah, from a yeah, gameplay yeah. perspective, it's going to be state-of-the-art. Um, don't, don't worry about that. But I think, I think it's going to be both. Um, I think that's what's exciting about it, because we think uh, the, your, your next console might be your last console. Um, in, the, in the era of 5G. Sure. Right? Yeah. Um, because, yeah. uh, because, you know, you're not going to be tethered to a couch, mm -hmm. right, or a chair mm -hmm. um, uh, in order to, to have awesome gameplay. So I think it's both. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I totally agree. Cause I think it's how, how do these two technology breakthroughs, again, come together, create a better experience for the user. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you've seen is, right, when you put more power into your device, when you put more bandwidth and capability into the, into broadband mm -hmm. uh, and into the network then you're able to get more people connected from further places with less latency on a bigger screen with faster devices um, so you know I don't think it's a stadia over that uh, when you're able to leverage all of the technology that's available to you I think that's how you create the richest uh, kind of moments and 5g is being architected right for not just um, launching within a smartphone environment, right? It's being it's been architected through several releases so that you know it can do mission critical types of, mm -hmm. of, of decision making for for automotive, for example. And if you're if 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 you're connected, if your car is connected to a five G network, and, and and there are things that are happening, you you need like millisecond latency yeah. because 
if you don't have that, you know, you've hit the pedestrian <laughs> or you've hit the wall or you yeah. hit the whatever. So, so that kind of power in the hand of a gamer, right, where you've got that level of low latency um, and the capacity and the bandwidth and the speed and the performance, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. So, um, so because it's being architected for those, those use cases that are mission critical, like if you can't make the decision this fast, you die, mm -hmm. right? So um, that is really amazing. And you back that up into an, a gaming environment, yeah. and that's actually pretty cool. So I think that's going to be amazing for streaming, for sure, in the future um, as we kind of move through this. And again, it's a journey, so we're going to learn a lot this year, but every year it's going to get better and better with Snapdragon Pro Series, so um, that's what's exciting. I love it. Guys, get your dexterity exercises now <laughs> because you're going to have to keep up with the tech, which... As a gamer, is excellent. It used to be called Nintendo Thumb. That, Nintendo was, that was a medically diagnosed term. So, <laughs> oh good. Okay, we've got four minutes left. We're going to go for one more question here, and that question is from Mike. How will you engage markets like Middle East, Africa, and other places? Oh, actually, we just answered this a little bit. I yeah, think, we kinda, right? We, we just did that. that. We just did. So we'll we'll move on to Austin once again, coming in with the great questions here. Do you envision the future of mobile gaming being? Oh, we were oh, talking we about did that, that one. one. Uh, oh, last question here. Let's talk about Brian. What is the ultimate esport event vision, and what are all the modes to interact at this event? Craig, yeah, I love as somebody this. who has badly missed lands, like <laughs> terribly, I must know the answer. I think we all would have answered a different question uh, two years ago. I think, right, with the ultimate esports event vision, first of all, I think is starts with an arena full of fans. Uh, and we just had our first live event back uh, earlier this month, or end of last month in Katowice, Poland. Uh, and it was a reminder that when you're an athlete, a competitor of any type, to do it in front of 10,000 fans uh, is ultimately what creates that highest level of competition and that pressure in the moment. Um, so when we think about that vision, uh, I think it starts with that. Then it's how do you create this really uh, great experience for those fans on site to become more than spectators. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's right. What smartphones have done, what Gen Z has, has demanded is it's no longer about a lean back, but a lean in experience. And again, we think the mobile phone is a great entry point because everyone's got one at an event. So how do we bring the audience to be more participatory uh, through that in terms of what's happening uh, in the competition, uh, in terms of giving them an impact and the ability to influence sort of how the event comes together. And then how do you start to extend that right beyond the fall, four walls of any physical location and take advantage of the tens of millions of fans that are watching live and want to engage with the content outside of it? And how do you bring those fans in to give them a voice? And how do you give them a voice with one another? So it's you know a virtual arena full of people as well. Mm -hmm. How do you give uh, a voice to those people that the 10 million at home or the 40 million that are watching at home into that arena, the same way that if you were there, you'd have your thunder sticks and you'd be chanting for your favorite team. Um, so this is a lot of what we're actually going to do with our first Masters event in the Snapdragon Pro Series is sort of really think how we create this um, connected first experience for the people on site and on home. Um, so I guess the answer is you'll probably have to tease it out a little bit. I think our first event will be probably about 12 months from now, in a, our first master's event, I should say, um, but that is exactly what we're thinking about. But the last two years have taught us it definitely starts in person. Yes.
and bringing a lot of part, we want to bring a lot of partners to the table. Yes. Right. We want to kind of create these ecosystems. So we want to bring partners from both, you know, in the genre mm -hmm. um, and, and in the gaming ecosystem, as well as partners who want to attach themselves to mm -hmm. mobile esports. I think there was a question. I think it maybe fell below, below the below the vote up line, but it was about how do brands like Bud Light get involved in mobile esports or in, in involved in Snapdragon Pro Series? Come on in. Like we would love Water's to have. Water's lovely. You know. Yeah. The water's <laughs> warm. Um, and. And so bringing partners in from both inside the ecosystem as well as, as who'd like to attach to the audience, you know, we're, we're all in. And this is what ESL does so well, right? And we have a ton of partnerships across different ecosystems that we're going to be bringing that are just, you know, kind of want in, mm -hmm. right? And so we're creating a platform where, where we'll, we'll invite you in. Well, excellent. So, well, we're very grateful that you all have invited us in. And thank you so much for being here as well. Of course, Don McGuire, Craig Levine, thank you so much once again. Thank you, South by Southwest. <laughs>